Couldn't you just sit there and watch that for just a little while? Just kind of like, ah, it's kind of like a fire, you know, you can't help but just like stand there and just drool, you know, or whatever. I mean, this is kind of one of those things. But uh, uh, I showed that because um, we are talking about focus today. And if you think about that video, if you look at the, for example, the, the two blue pencils, you know, and when you moved it, depending on what you were focusing on, how, what you were looking at or how you were looking at it, your focus determines how you saw it, what it looked like to you. It looked like the pencil was two different sizes, and then you slide them together, and they're the same size. And it's like, well, that was weird. And then, you know, from that, that little that ball thing, that's the scientific term, by the way, ball thing, uh, whatever that thing is, um, it, it, you put that in. If you look at it from the side, you know, that's kind of cool. They, they swing back and forth. That's cool. But then when the camera angle goes to the end of that, and you see them all kind of going back, and then they make this cool swaying pattern. It made it really different, didn't it? I mean, it was a cool way to see it. The focus, uh, how we look at something, is, is really a big deal. And so today we're talking about focus in, in a little bit different way. And we're going to continue the AD series. And this AD series is where we're just basically looking at this, the events and the, the, the different things that happened after Jesus rose from the grave and ascended to heaven and when he left, and he left the disciples, he left the, left the apostles, and he left the other believers in Jesus, the people who had begun to believe in him as the Messiah, as the Lord and Savior. And he goes, and before he goes, he gives them the directive. He says, you need to spread the news about Jesus, about me, to the whole world. That's, that's your mission. And so this AD series is talking about all those things that happened right after Jesus ascended to heaven. Um, and so that's what we're going to do. And we're really, really going to take a look at, really focus on two men, one really more than the other, but two men. And these two men had very different focus. They focused on two different things in their life. And their focus determined kind of what they saw. And just like in that video, what you were looking at determined what you saw and what you believed. Right? I mean, you, you may have believed if we were just looking at it, you knew something was up, right? Because we're showing it uh, as a video to start with. But you look at that and those pencils, they look like they're different sizes. And because of how we focused on it, it, it showed us what we truly thought or what we believed. See, the truth is what we focus on determines what we see, what we believe, and even goes to the level then of how we act, our behavior, how we go through life. And the two men that we're going to focus on had very different focus in their lives. And we're going to look at that. So what I want to do is I want to just get us up to speed real quick of where we're at in the AD series. Um, so that if you, if you missed a week or two here, just you kind of know where we're at. And then we're going to jump right into, we're going to literally take the very next verse from where we ended last week. We kind of did this last week too. We're going to take the very next verse after where we ended last week. So, so here's where we're at. Jesus uh, rose from the grave. He ascended to heaven just before he does that. He tells him, go back to Jerusalem and begin to share the good news of Christ after the Holy Spirit comes. Okay, so they go back to the city of Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit arrives, gives them the power and the boldness to share the love of Christ with everyone around them. And they begin to do that. And they share the love of Christ with all the people in and around the city of Jerusalem. Well, a lot of the religious authorities, they didn't like this. They were threatened by it. They're like, who are these guys? They're uneducated. They don't know what they're talking about. They just walked around this, with this guy named Jesus, and now they think that they have the, this thing figured out, that, that there's this love that, that Jesus brought. And so they were threatened by it, and so they kind of start going after him. 
And then last week, we talked about kind of the, the first martyr, the first Christian martyr. A couple of weeks ago, we kind of focused on him a lot. But they, they go after this guy named Stephen, and they ended up murdering Stephen because of his belief in Jesus. They hated him so much. They built up so much hatred that they just said, let's get rid of him. And so they murdered him. And he becomes the first Christian martyr in all of history. And they get rid of him. And so this sparks a time where people say, hey, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's get rid of these followers of Jesus. And it sparks this intense persecution against the believers, the followers of Christ. And, and so they start going after him. They start trying to drag him off and throw him into prison and, and trying to, to kill them and execute them and do all these really horrible things to them. And this is where we left. And in last week, though, we found out that there is a beauty that comes out of this because the message of Christ, the believers, they were forced to make a choice. Either stay in Jerusalem, deny Christ. They don't want to do that, though. Or you can stay in Jerusalem and continue to share the love of Christ to the people around you. But if you do that, you're going to face persecution. You're going to be thrown into prison or you might even lose your life. Or they have the third option is, let's get out of here. Get out of Dodge. No, actually it was Jerusalem. But they get out of there. All right? And they have to get out and they're going to take the love of Jesus with them. They're going to take the message with them. So that's what most of them do. And the last verse that we read, I want to read it to you. This is the last verse that we ended on last week because this, this makes sense. It'll help make sense to go into where we're going today. Acts chapter 8, verse 4. This is what the last verse that we read. But the believers, when they were scattered, who were scattered, preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. In other words, what is that saying? What that's saying is they didn't go into hiding. They didn't leave Jerusalem and, and like, okay, now we need to hide out. Now we need to have a pity party because we just lost our homes. We just lost our jobs. We just lost everything we know. Uh, and so let's have a pity party. Let's, let's, let's hide away in a cave somewhere so they don't kill us, so they don't find out who we are. No. When they left, they spread all over around the city of Jerusalem and into the surrounding lands. And they went out and they find out all these things and they're, they're going to carry the love of Jesus with them to wherever they go, wherever they chose to go. And so this verse tells us that the, the news of Jesus spreads and, and really the followers of Jesus, they begin to just exponentially grow, exponentially by thousands. And so they do this. Well, today what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the Bible, the very next verse after that one that we just read. The very next verse, it turns its focus onto a specific man, a guy named Philip. He's a believer. He's a brand new believer in Jesus, but he's bold. He knows that he has a directive from God that he has to tell everyone he can find, show everyone he can find the love of Jesus. And so he's one of those that had to escape from Jerusalem. He gets out of there and he chooses to go north into an area called Samaria. So let's read what we find out about Philip, verses 5 and 6 in Acts chapter 8. Philip, for example, one of the believers, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds or lots of people listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. So Philip, he runs for his life and he ends up, he says, I'm going to go into this area called Samaria. That's where he chooses to go. For whatever reason, that's where he chooses to go. It's north of Jerusalem. He goes into there and he begins telling everybody about Jesus, right? He, he, he's sharing the love of Christ. And it was probably, to be honest, it was not easy because, you know, he's just been threatened with his life or imprisonment at the very least. And so it wasn't easy, but let's, let's be honest, it was a little bit easier because he shows up in Samaria and everybody's like, hey, who's the new guy? 
what brought you to town? You know, this is a normal conversation we would have, right? When I see somebody new that I haven't seen in Wanakee and they say, yeah, well, we just moved here. Oh, good. What brought you here? Did you come here for, you know, or, or did you get a new job or did you come here for the great schools or, you know, what? I mean, we have that, you know, the normal conversation. Well, Philip, he says, well, <laughs> I'm running for my life, actually, you know, and I'm sure that they're like, oh, uh, do we need to call the authorities? <laughs> Right? I mean, they're like, why are you running for your life? What did you do? <laughs> right? And, and he says, no, 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 it's nothing like that. It's, it's that, uh, well, it's kind of a long story. Let me tell you it. Let me tell you the story. Uh, I met this guy named Jesus. And anyway, he, he loves everybody and blah, blah, blah. And he goes into it. And people are like, wow, this is an amazing story. Uh, can I believe in Jesus? Can I, can I have the power that you have received recently? And he says, yeah, you can you just need to believe in Jesus. And he goes through this and, and these people are listening to him. Well, this is, this is why this is really powerful. Now, his focus is great. It's great that he has this focus. But in all honesty, we read these two verses. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told some people about the Messiah. They've listened to him and they wanted to hear his message. That's all we get from the Bible. But there's a lot more going on underneath here that we need to know. Philip's focus is really quite a miracle. And this is why. Let me, let me just backtrack a little bit and give you a little window into history on this part. Okay? Uh, some of you love history. Some of you hate history. I promise I'm going to be very brief on this one. Okay? So we're going to take a window into history. I want to go back 800 years. It's quite a while before this. Okay? Before this time when we hear the story of Philip, around the time of Jesus. 800 years we're going to go back. So we're in the year 722 B.C., which means 722 years before Christ. That's why we say 722 B.C. So 722 years before Christ. And, um, and in this time, this is basically what the Israel looks like. Let's see the map. Okay, you have two, the kingdom of Israel has split into two port, uh, portions. They had a civil war. Okay, we're not going to get into that part of the history, but they had this civil war, kind of rebelliousness, all this kind of stuff. And so they split the kingdom into two kingdoms. We have the northern kingdom, which is in blue there, and we have the southern kingdom, which is that orangish, yellowish, weirdish color. Okay? And we have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and they have these two kingdoms. Well, in 722 BC, the Assyrian Empire comes in and invades not the southern kingdom, but just the northern kingdom, the blue part. They come in and then they invade. The Assyrians had a huge army. They come in and they invade and they basically conquer um, the Israelites there in the northern kingdom. And so what they do in order to control this region from here on out, because they conquered them, they take all the Jewish people from this region and they carry them off and they send them out into the rest of the world, into the, the empire, the Assyrian empire, Syria, all these other places. And they just kind of scatter them all over. They take the Jewish people and they scatter them all over. They don't want them rebelling against their empire anytime soon. And so they take most of the people. Now they leave, we don't know, a few hundred, a few thousand, we don't know. But they leave a few Jews there in the northern kingdom, a few Jewish people in the northern kingdom there to just live their lives. But then what the Assyrians did, they did something interesting. They, what they do is they pull a whole bunch of people from their empire and from other parts of the world and they send them in and say, hey, guess what? Free land. And they kind of send a whole bunch of people in there. They say, here, dwell in the land, marry the people there, you know, start families, just kind of intermingle with the people and, and, and just start some new, some new culture there. 
And that's exactly what happens. You know, the Jewish men, they see the ladies and the ladies see the other. And they start intermarrying and they start be, becoming, you know, friends and they start having babies. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, now, this is why I'm doing this. I'm putting 800 years of history into like two minutes. Okay. And so this fast forward 800 years and now there's no longer any Jewish people per se left there. They've all intermarried with other people from other cultures. Does that make sense? Okay, And so now we have all of these races and all of these cultures mixed in that blue area there. Okay, Now let's fast forward back up to the time of Philip. Okay, I know we did a little window into the history. Okay, This is what it looks like in the time of Jesus, during the time where we're talking about Philip. Okay, You have Galilee in the north, you have Samaria in the middle, and you have Judea in the south. Okay, this is why this is important. All this stuff is important. Okay? The portion that I just told you about where everybody intermarried and there's no pure Jewish people left is in that kind of bluish, grayish area called Samaria. This is why this is important. This is where Philip chose to go. Okay? The Jewish people and the Samaritans, they didn't like each other much because the Jewish people, they thought they were better than these other people who had intermarried with other races. Yeah, we're talking serious racism here nastiness, really bad stuff. These people did not like these people. And guess what? How did the Samaritans feel about the people in the southern part of the kingdom? They didn't like them either. They said, oh, you're not going to like us? Well, we don't like you either, right? It's kind of the battle of the sneeches with the stars and all that. You know, that's what it is. It's like, yeah, we have stars on our bellies. Well, you know, you're only cool if you don't have stars on your bellies now. You know, I mean, it's a cultural thing. And that's what it is. And for 800 years... This cultural hatred is built up. And you know how things, you know when hatred builds and it gets bigger and bigger and the intensity in the room it builds? Have you ever had an argument like that? I'm sure you, none of you ever have to where it's escalated. I'm sure you've never done that. Uh, it's never happened with Laura and I. We've never escalated anything, you know, like that yeah, never happened. Yeah, right. We know how this works, right? You get worked up and for some reason you don't even know what the first thing was, but now you're arguing about something else. Right? Because it's just gotten intense. This is what happened. And there's this cultural hatred. Okay, let me, let me put this in perspective. Okay? For example, just, just put this in perspective how much they hated each other. If you had a Jewish person that was traveling from the southern part of the kingdom up to Galilee or Phoenicia or Syria, or they were going north somehow. They were just going north some way. And if they wanted to do that, and they were traveling up to that section, here's what they would do. If you were a Jewish person, you would cross over the Jordan River into that green area where it says Perea. They would cross over into that green area, across the Jordan River, go north, and then they would cross back over the Jordan River when they got over to Galilee or wherever they were headed so that they didn't even have to pass through the land known as Samaria. That's how much they hated each other. Okay, this is to the tune of 50 miles. I don't know about you, but if we drive 50 miles and do a detour of 50 miles, it's kind of an annoyance. It's like, oh, we lost 45 minutes on our trap, right? It's just ridiculous. Remember, most of these people are walking. So for them to choose to go 50 miles out of their way to avoid these people because they hate them, we're talking about an extra at least a couple of days of travel just to do that. And says, I'm not going to associate with those people. That's, what, that's what's going on. Talk about ugliness, right? Talk about, ugh. Makes your heart kind of, It's gunk. That's the hatred that's going on here. Okay, this is why this is important. Philip's focus on Jesus was so great 
He was, cho- he was willing. He chose directly to not only pass through Samaria, but to go into the heart of Samaria, the city of Samaria, which is right in the middle of that, and to stay there, to live there, and to do ministry there. This, this cannot, you cannot imagine how much shock the Samaritans must have had to have a Jewish man standing, even just existing on their land. The fact that he even was there is a miracle upon miracles. But Philip goes there and he says, listen, I've learned that I need to love you. And I learned it from this guy named Jesus. And so here I am. I'm running for my life, but I'm going to risk my life again to tell you about the love of Jesus. Are you cool with that? And, that, and the Samaritans are like, what is going on with this guy? This has been 800 years. They've hated us and we've been taught to hate them. It's ingrained in us. But Philip's focus was so great, so consuming to him that he was willing to break one of the most intense barriers, the most intense hatred that had existed between these people. And he was willing to share the love of Christ with them at the risk of his own life. He was willing to do this. What a great, great thing, even though they they were ingrained to hate each other. And let's read real quick what happens as a result of Philip's willingness to focus not on himself, but completely on Jesus. Verse 12 of chapter 8. Now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. In other words, many people accepted Jesus. Samaritans accepted Jesus. Christ, because a Jewish man came in and told them about Jesus. (laughs) I mean, it's unbelievable. Not only did these people not even want to be in the same room or same vicinity as each other, but now Philip comes in and says, listen, I've been taught that I'm going, I need to love you and I'm working at it. I'm going to love you. I'm going to, because that's what I have to do. That's what I'm supposed to do. And so I, this is what I'm here to do. And I'm supposed to tell you who told me to do that. This guy named Jesus. And I want you to have this same power that I have. Amazing. And of course people got baptized. Why? Because the Samaritans have a Jewish man sitting right in front of them. They can't believe it. They're like, this is all we need to know that Jesus is obviously pretty powerful because if you're just here, that is unbelievable to us, mind-boggling to us. And sure enough, they accept Christ and they are baptized. So what I want to do, though, for a moment is I want to just take a moment away from the biblical story and I want to just take this home a little bit. Because you guys know, it's great to hear good stories from the Bible, but if it doesn't deal with us at home, right at our hearts... It doesn't do us any good. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think right now of a person or a group of people that you have a very not favorable opinion of. And if you say, no, I don't have those, let's be honest, please. Okay? I want you to think of a person or a group of people. Maybe it's a group of coworkers. Maybe it's somebody at school. Maybe it's a group of people at school that hang out at a certain part of the hallway in school. Maybe, maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a family in your neighborhood. Maybe, I, I don't know who it is. I, I, whatever. Maybe it's a group in our community. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's an organization in our community. Maybe there's an organization in our community that just, rah, you hear the name of that organization. Rah. 
I want you to get that. You got those people in your mind? You got that names, those names, or whoever it is? Okay, now I want you to think of what it would be like for you to pray blessings upon them. To specifically pray that God would bless them and make them successful and make them prosper. I want you to think about what it would be like for you to actually get to the point where you loved those people. To get to the point where you were willing to serve those people. Like, and when I say serve, uh, you know, serving could go all levels. But what I mean by serve is I mean you're willing to sacrifice your time. You're willing to sacrifice your money. You're willing to sacrifice your energy, um, your gifts and abilities, the skills that you have for their sake. Not for your sake, not to build yourself up, but to build them up. I want you to think about what it means, what it would look like for you to do that for those people that, eh, You just kind of, ah, I just don't feel right when I think about them. It changes things, doesn't it? Because honestly, it's great to read a story about Philip in the Bible and go, wow, that guy's awesome. He, they hated the Samaritans and now he doesn't anymore. It's really fun to hear those stories where like, woo, you know, we see those stories all the time on Faith It or YouTube or in the news. And we're like, somebody crossed the barriers of hatred. We're like, woo, go you. But then when we, when Jesus says, yeah, but you know those people that you don't like very much? Can, would you be willing to do that? Could you, could you do that? And you go, well, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> they, you know they, they hurt me a little bit more than maybe this person did. I, 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 don't, I don't know if that's the same thing. You know, we kind of rationalize it away. But it becomes personal when Jesus says, listen, I want you to love all people because I love all people. Yes, there's a standard for life. There's a standard for living. And yes, people wrong other people. Yes, they hurt us. But there also is this forgiveness, grace. And there's a lot of forgiveness that I bet had to happen. The Bible doesn't tell us, but between Philip and the Samaritans, can you imagine what would have happened after they accepted Christ and they both got together? They both found common ground, faith in Jesus. Can you imagine the conversations? They're, they're like sitting there hanging out and they're like, Really? You guys really do that? The Samaritans, you guys, you guys do this in your culture? That's kind of cool, actually. I've never known that because we've hated each other for hundreds of years. Some amazing things begin to happen. But now I want to take a turn, okay? So now that we talk about that, let's talk about a different guy who had a very different focus. A guy who also had hatred in his life, but one who decided not to focus on Jesus and to focus on his hatred. He gave in to his hatred, his bitterness, the stuff that was inside, the hatred that he had. But this guy, he had hatred toward Christians. He had hatred toward believers in Jesus. This guy's name was Saul. And I want to read, this is what's going on. While Philip is going to the Samaritans and breaking down barriers of hatred, this is what's going on with this other guy named Saul. Verse 3 of chapter 8, this is what it says. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. Remember, the church is not a building that we're talking about. It should say destroy the believers in Jesus. He's going after people. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Then we find out that Saul, that's not enough. And so he gets a little more intense with his hatred. This is what it finds out. We find out the next chapter, chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Not only was he just saying, hey, how can we get, take care of these guys? He said he was eager to kill them. 
Okay, this is an intense hatred that Saul has. So we have Philip on one side that says, I am going to go to the Samaritans, this group that we've hated for hundreds of years. And I'm going to go to their neighborhood. I'm going to live with them for a while and I'm going to do ministry there. But then we have Saul, on the other hand, during this time, is going around and he's giving in to his hatred. He says, I'm going to find believers of Jesus. I'm going to throw them into prison at all costs. I'm going to kill them if I possibly can. And I'm going to take them out. I'm going to, I'm going to really just destroy their lives. How can we have a disparity, such a disparity between two men, both of the which who started with hatred, how do we have such a disparity between the two? And I think the difference is focus. I think the difference is focus. I think that Philip was focusing his heart, his life, his eyes on Jesus. Saul, on the other hand, was focusing on what? He was focusing on his hatred. He was focusing on the past. He's focusing on really what was best for him. He said this, this whole, these followers of Jesus, he, what we don't know about Saul, Saul was a religious high up as well. And so this threatened his life. He said, if this is true, then everything that I've really come to know is being threatened. And I don't like that. And so I'm going to take you out. The hatred was driving everything that he was doing. And this is true for you and I, isn't it? If we were to honestly admit If you and I were honestly to admit how we operate in life, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, what we do every day is determined by what we focus on, isn't it? What we focus on, what we are really considered to be important. That's how we should say it. What we focus on, what we consider to be most important in our life is what drives our everyday life, isn't it? It's what we make time for. It's what we spend our money on. Right? I mean, how many of you, if you love flowers, right? You love flowers. You just, that's your, that's your passion. And you go to the store, you know, you go to some of the stores around town and you're shopping around and you're saying, man, I would really like to spend some time shopping and buying video games. That'd be awesome. If you love flowers. No, of course you wouldn't do that. That wouldn't make any sense. Because that's, your focus is not video games. That was a weird connection, wasn't it? <laughs> Flowers and video. That's just where I go. It's because I'm a guy, probably. But this is, this is just the way it is. But, I mean, if you are focused and something is truly and absolutely important to you, you're going to spend your money on it. You're going to spend your time on it. You're going to give your focus to it. You're going to give your life to it. This is where we, Tanya mentioned it, the 167. We talk about it all the time, don't we? We all have 168 hours in our week. We spend about one of it here together, worshiping God together. And then we are left with 167 other hours. The question is, and I don't think we ask this enough. I think we talk about it so much at Northridge. Sometimes it just, we gloss it over. I think we do. I think we just, oh yeah, here's the 167 again. But I think what it needs to do is we need to wrestle and say, what are we doing with the other 167 other hours of our life? Yes, I know we have to eat. Yes, I know we have to sleep. Yes, I know we have to work and make money and you know, support ourselves. And all kinds of, I get all that. Of course we have to do that. But what are we doing in the midst of that? And what are we doing with all those hours when we're not doing those things? What are we choosing to put our lives into? For example... This is kind of funny because actually a guy brought this up the other day to me. Uh, he, he was talking about his past in church and he said, you know, I would go to church. This was his experience as a kid. He would go to church 
And then they would leave church. He said, leaving church was one of the most dangerous things because people were trying to get out of the parking lot so fast to get to lunch. And he said, I saw more middle fingers on the way out of church. I kid you not. That's what he said. He said, I hear you. I said, that's, he was telling me that, you know, because he found out I was a pastor. So right away, they're like, well, let me give you my background. (laughs) And I'm like, yep, I've heard this before. Here's why this is so important, though, because everybody has that experience. Are you kidding me? We are going to walk out of an hour where we just talked about the love of Jesus and then we're going to flip somebody off because they cut us off and we're not going to get to lunch for 10 seconds later. This is true, isn't it? This is true. Let's be honest. Aren't we this way? Our kids are going to drive us crazy on the way home today and we're going to lose it. I've done this. And I go, you know, and I've had to apologize. I'm like, kids, I'm sorry. I'm tired, you know, and that that was wrong. And I I apologize for that. I mean, you know, you're just like, ah, get in the van. What are you doing? (laughs) Seriously, the most simple things. And I just, ah, I'm going to lose it. Right? And, and my, 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 the whole point here is, if we are truly, as much as we can, focus on Jesus, then that should determine how we treat each other, how we think about people. This is one of the greatest aspects of, uh, of focusing on Christ, is that truly the Bible declares that this can happen, that if we focus on Jesus, if we accept Jesus into our life, and we truly focus everything around Him, that He has the power, the ability... To change who we are at the core. Who we are. Not our behavior. Our behavior modification, that's something that we can do with a counselor. Okay, We're talking about changing how we actually view people. What we think of them. How we see them. The lens that we see them. Um, and, and, And literally how we... Oh, by the way, this is a big one. Jesus can change how you view yourself. A lot of times I talk with people... And they have such a low view, such a low value in themselves. And I, I'm here to tell them, listen, Jesus put incredible value in you. Regardless of how you feel about yourself, let me tell you what I know God sees. God sees unbelievable value in you because he, you know why he knows? Because he put it in there. It's going to change how you view people. It should change how you view yourself. It should change how you view your job. It should change how you view those people at school. Your teachers up front. Oh, that's a hard one. I was a teacher at one time, so I know. It should view, it should change everything of how we view everything. That's the greatest aspect. It can break down barriers. It can change our hatred for somebody. It literally can do that. But Jesus needs to become more of the focus in our life. Uh, how many of you, anybody in here, I just want to see, anybody in here Indiana Jones fans? Anybody in here? Yes! Both of you are. Awesome. All two of you. I'm just kidding. There were more. There was about 10 to 15. Awesome. Okay. That's good. I, I at least I have a few people to talk to. Good. Indiana Jones. I, I'm just, you know, it's just one of those things. I, I love the Indiana Jones stuff. Uh, although the Christmas school was kind of bad. I was just like, uh, really? That's where we're going with that? But anyway, um, the, I, I like the original ones. You know, the, the original trifecta, the original trilogy. Good stuff. At the, uh, the, remember Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? That movie. Uh, Let me give you the gist of the movie if you've never seen it. All right? Fantastic stuff. If you've never seen the movie. This is the summary of the movie, just in one shot. Then then you don't have to watch it. So you don't have to put yourself through this. Um, The summary of the movie is basically this. There's an archaeologist named Indiana Jones. 
And of course, he's incredibly amazing at avoiding danger in every sense of the word. But he's an archaeologist. I've never seen an archaeologist that could do these things. But anyway, beside the point. So he is on a quest for the Holy Grail, this, this cup that supposedly Jesus had when he did you know, communion and all this kind of stuff. So it's the Holy Grail. Right, this cup, this special cup that Jesus actually held, and uh, and so he's on this quest, on this search for the cup. Well, there's also a group of Germans who are kind of loosely connected to the Nazi Party that just kind of brings in all kinds of other intrigue, and they're searching for the Holy Grail too. And the reason both of these groups, Indiana Jones and this group of Germans, are searching for the Holy Grail is because they believe that it's going to give them fame, going to give them wealth going to give them power, and is also going to give them eternal life. So there's a lot on the line. Like, this is a huge, this is a great cup, right? This is a whole lot better than, like, the Dora things that we have sitting at home, you know, in in our cupboards. Um, And so this this is a great, the Holy Grail. And so they're searching for this. Well, at the end, fast forward to the end of the movie. There's all these struggles and constant things, and he uses his whip to swing, and amazing stuff. You have to see it. All right. So all this stuff, they get to the end of the movie, and they find the Holy Grail. And there's this gal named Elsa, who is one of the main characters in the movie. And she has been searching. She's kind of been battling with Indiana Jones to get the Holy Grail. And she grabs the Holy Grail. And Indiana Jones is there and his father and a few other people. And they are cross. And she's not supposed to take it across this seal that's on the floor, supposedly. And she crosses the seal with the Holy Grail in her hands because she wants to take it for herself. She wants this wealth and power and eternal life and everything like that. So she crosses the seal. Well, as soon as she crosses the seal, this huge earthquake happens. And, and the ground opens up, and there's this big crevasse, big crack in the earth. That's what it is. And she falls into it, and the Holy Grail falls onto this little ledge inside that, that crack. And, uh, and she's hanging, and just as she falls, Indiana Jones, of course, it's Hollywood. Um, so Indiana Jones reaches down, and he just is amazing, and he grabs her one hand as she's going over the edge. And, he, you know, he's got her. He's, he saves her. But then Elsa turns around and she sees the Holy Grail down below her. She just, she's just out of reach. And so she turns and she's trying to reach for it. And Indiana Jones is saying, Elsa, give me your other hand. Give me your other hand. I cannot hold you. And she reaches and she reaches, but she falls. Because she never puts her other hand up there. And she falls. And then just at that moment when she falls, of course, the ground crumbles and gives way. And Indiana Jones starts falling into this crevasse. And his father, played by Sean Connery, who's also amazing, he grabs down and he grabs his hand, right? And he saves his son, you know, saves his son, Indiana Jones. And he's got him by one hand. And now Indiana Jones looks down and sees the Holy Grail. And do you want to see it? Let's watch it. Junior, give me your other hand. I can't hold on. I can get it. I can almost reach it, Dad. Indiana. Indiana. Indiana Jones, he's reaching. He's about to make the same mistake that Elsa just made. 
And the reason I show that is in order for Indiana Jones, in order for his life to be saved, what did he have to do? He had to shift his focus to where it needed to be, to his father. He had to shift his focus up in order to be saved. And as a result, he was saved. He had to bring up the other hand. And here's, here's the point that I would make from that clip. I think that a lot of times, if we were to be honest, a lot of days out there that we go through life, we're giving one hand to God. And we're reaching for our careers and we're reaching for our jobs and we're kind of holding on to the bitterness and the anger and the rage that we have toward other people. And we have this and we give one hand to God, but we're hanging by one hand. And God says, I got this hand, but I need the other one. I need all of you because I, I, there, I, I can't do as much. I can't, I can't transform who you are if you just give me the one hand. And God says, I need your focus to be on me. I need you to turn to the Father. I need you to turn to Father God. I need you to turn to Jesus. I need to turn your focus toward me. And then give me that other hand. Focus is everything. Because the truth is, what we tend to do is we tend to focus our lives around words that we don't say out loud, but our actions tell otherwise. These are the words that, that we tend to kind of throw around and we have in our, in our life and our heart a lot. I'm on Facebook. I see it. Right? There's a lot of this going on inside of us. If we're to be honest, this describes sometimes who we are. We have a lot of hate, a lot of anger, a lot of selfishness. A lot of the, we focus on material possessions, right? I know how much work I did in my house yesterday. It's ridiculous. Gossip, how we talk about other people. Guilt. A lot of us are carrying guilt that we know we've done things and we've just been carrying that for years. But here's the truth. The only way to take our focus off of this is to put our focus on something greater. What is that? Jesus. Our focus needs to be first and foremost on Jesus. There's no way to get past all these words unless we take our focus off of them and put it onto something else that's much greater, much more powerful. And in this case, we're talking about Jesus. So the question is, how many hands have you given to God? Have you given just one? Or are you willing to give everything? Are you willing to let go of all that stuff and give both hands? Surrender. Give everything to Jesus. That's what Philip did, and it created amazing things. But guess what? God wants to break down the same barriers in you and I. He does. The question is, will we give him both hands? Will we surrender everything to him? Because that's what it will require. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you love us unconditionally. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you want to break down barriers, that you want to help us to focus on you completely. But God, we need help to do that. 
We really do. We, we see the things, the job and the material possessions and all the people, they're right here in front of us. And therefore, those are easier to focus on, God. And so, Lord, I just pray very simply, Lord, help us to give both hands to you. Help us to reach out both hands to you and not just one. Help us to choose to be all in with you, God. Help us to take our focus off the things of this world and to put our focus on you because you want to do immeasurably more than we can imagine in our lives and through our lives. May we give ourselves completely to you so that we can do that. Pray that you would help us to do that, Jesus, by your power, by your name, Jesus. Amen.